See the RSS feed of the pod. Be gone, hostile dweller of the comment section. Oh, pod, hear my prayer. And let my five-star review come unto thee. The hour of calamity be with you. And also with you. I cast you out and warn thee of unclean language. In the name of Dame Pegatha Mountbatten, it is she who commands you. She who brings you the cleansing spirits. It is she who brings you drunken opinion masquerading as facts. And facts unchecked before recording. It is she who brings you swearing through pod. The power of Peg compels you. The power of Peg compels you. The power, the power of, of Peg, Peg compels, compels you. Coming up on tonight's Blood Chilling Podcast. Some of the images in these pages uh, are enough to give me the diarrhea. <laughs> and I can, I can be, I'll be quoted on that. When you look at Lamb's face, I mean, the text describes his skin peeling off, and it's there, it's in, it's in the illustration. Um, <laughs> it was the way that the skin is, like, flaking off. Mm. That reminded me of the texture that you used to get with digestive biscuits. Once. He was called this once in the Daily Mirror. Farson even says it. And then goes off goes off for fifteen pages because he was called this one. He used to he used to drink the blood and he's a vampire. Yep. He's fucking insane is what he is, Daniel. Garlic for vampires. It's Wolfsbane for werewolves. I know all about it. And welcome to this, the second of our annual All Hallows' Eve specials from the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here because the haunted mobile library of terror stopped outside the front door and the driver asked to go to the toilet. Yes, hello to you, and thanks for staggering into our fearsome forbidden fumbling through eldritch etchings where Britain's best-loved battle axe is but a terrified page turn away, because here all tales lead to the mountain. If you go over to PeggyMountPod.com, info for the book we're discussing is in the show notes. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or ask us why we haven't read The Unholy Rites aloud yet. And before we blithely burn images into our retinas, which will go on to haunt our introspection for literally decades, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what is it a drink around here? Well, he wasn't here last episode because he'd shunned the ghee. However, uh-huh. here he is. Lump has been sitting quietly in the corner, and he's ready to give us a drink on the proviso... That he's allowed to tell a Halloween joke. Oh, here we go. But right, exactly. So, right, come on, Lump, away you go. How do you say goodbye to a vampire? So long, sucker. Yee, <laughs> is that it? I mean, is that it? Anyway, right, okay. Um, I've earned this then. Um, I am on the brandy because I feel. Like it's more literary. I'm on Cavoisier. Nice, nice. Yes, prone to mispronunciation as it is. Let me tell you about this. I was once in a bar where some woman swooped in, looking all cut glass and coffee in the lounge, mm-hmm. and she was she was with her friends and determined to impress them. And she strode up to the bar, full of her own importance, and asked for three couvesuviers. 
That's what I'm calling it. Right? Three Couvazuviers. But and that's always stuck with me. So yes, I'm on the Couvazuvier. There we are. Right, well, I'm spitting dust over here. Come on, Lump. I can see what I want, but out with it. Mm. Yes. Why don't ghosts like the ring? It dampens their spirit. <laughs> right, give me that. And what is it? I'm going to wade through today's cobwebs with a bottle of Ramsbury Bellapur. Largely because it sounds like a protagonist from a gothic horror novel who returns to his ancestral estate and then goes mad exploring the cellar. It's a beautiful name, that. It is. It's a, it is a beautiful name. Yeah. You mentioned wading through the cobwebs. Let's be off on our journey and do what Christopher Lillycrap invited us to do decades ago. Flick through the page, so let's turn the page. But first, a word of warning. Do not be alarmed by these stories. To one person, the snake is horrible, and to another, a spider. But just think, as they slide and scuttle away, how horrible we must seem to them. Nothing is more horrifying than a sudden shadow, yet a heartbeat later you realize it was only a trick of the moonlight. Everything has an explanation. Or has it? Perhaps it would be just as well to look under your bed before you turn out the light. Who knows what you will find? The Hamlin Book of Horror is an informational journal from 1979, authored by broadcaster and historical biographer Daniel Farson. Published for the younger audience, the 156 pages present a detailed overview of classic horror from literary, cinematic and cultural points of view. Rich with accompanying illustrations throughout, Farson presents his subjects with the clarity and depth one would expect for a more maturely oriented study of the genre, while never forgetting the potential impact of his words on formative minds. With no modern reprints or digital release to be found, we've broken the seal on the vault and prized open old scars to give this a 21st century reappraisal. Because while you can look away from a film that's scaring you, a book is malevolently content to just wait until you've plucked up the courage to continue. I'm, I'm terrified, me. Uh-huh. I really am. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so, so as has been established yes. already, I think... We both read this when we were small, didn't we? We we did. We did. Um, this is a niche topic for discussion, I feel. Um, but probably not as niche as one might expect. Um, did did the reveal of this literary classic from yesteryear, did this open the memory box for you? Uh, it did, yeah. It undid several years of therapy, but yes. <laughs> Do you remember where you got this book from? Uh I didn't. I, I didn't own this book. I, I didn't ever own this book, but right. I had access. I had access to it regularly, courtesy of the school library. Okay. Okay. I first discovered this book. Well, I knew of its existence because of the case catalogue, <laughs> and in the section which is in the Christmas sort of uh, edition, uh, there's all the annuals that are coming out that year. Right. Yeah. And, and this was always there. It was always on that shelf. It was always there. And I was fascinated by this. See, this is the thing. I don't remember where mine came from. I know I'm right. pretty certain my grandparents bought it for me. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember if I'd seen it and specifically asked for it or if they just knew that would be the kind of thing that would keep me occupied for a few hours. Yeah. It's yeah. not that my parents disapproved of it at all. 
but I know for a fact that if I'd asked them for it, they'd have said, no, because it'll be us you're keeping awake when you're too scared to go to sleep. Um, sure, yeah. That, that happened anyway. <laughs> right. It always struck me as the kind of book that you would see in a department store rather than in a bookshop. Absolutely. I don't know why, but yeah. Yeah, I get that. So yeah, uh, having not owned the book and discovered it in the school library, Joy, untold, uh, when when this appeared on the shelf, I felt I actually felt a sense of elation, relief. <laughs> I was finally going to get to read this. Yeah, and, and I was not disappointed. <laughs> I, I remember getting the book out for the first time on my library ticket, and I think I'd read half of the book the first night. Mint. Oh, honestly, the mystery, the fear. It ticked so many boxes for me. Again, at that age, I was a big horror fan. Fantasy horror, as, as in your Draculas, your Frankensteins, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I loved that feeling of being scared. The main draw was that cover, though, wasn't it? It's, oh. it's, it's iconically striking. <laughs> that cover... Um, that's such a... Do you know what it is? One of the main features about that cover, that is such an effective picture of Dracula. Mm-hmm. As far as I could gauge, it's it's original, uh, as in he hasn't really based it too much on Hollywood Dracula, um, apart from the fact that the suntan that he's got is virgin on the George Hamilton. There is this. Um, yes. Uh, but it's, it is, it's very evocative. His expression, the colours, uh, the inclusion of Lon Chaney as the Phantom of the Opera on mm-hmm. the cover is both chilling... And reassuring, because I mentioned reassuring because if there's an image from what would I, I would deem as an official source, such as a Hollywood movie, then that is a form of endorsement to this publication, right? To me, right. an underlining of the fact, uh, confirming that this is the real deal that I'm about to read here, and yeah. my experience is in safe hands. Yeah, the Lon Chaney pick was one of the two things on the cover that used to freak me out a bit as a kid. The mm-hmm. the image of the vampire, the Dracula, if you will. Um, it's amazing, but it's more exciting than terrifying. Yes, that that you know that tells you, yeah, there's this. This is a book of action. This this isn't just dusty old words. Come, come on in. This is where it happens. But yeah, yeah. the the pick of Lon Chaney. There's something about the mouth which used to freak me out. Mm-hmm. Um, and on, on oh, when you turn the book over before you've even opened it, you turn the book over. You got um, this wolf with a young boy sitting next to him. And the wolf has just been the wolf. It's just stand there. It's just the dog. Um, but, but the boy... Do we know what, what what's the matter with the dog? The last I heard, mm. r- reports were all around the, the village from the, the locals. They had the, the flaming torches and, the, you know, the pitchforks. Right. And they said that it was chasing after somebody on a bike. I'm no expert in animal behaviour, but I would suggest you take the bike off it. Either that or burn its castle down. One of the two. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> but the boy sat next to him is... Very delightfully eating someone's innards. Yeah, right. Smeared all around um, his face. Yes, uh, like some cannibalistic demonic version of Mowgli from the Jungle Book. Yes, uh, yes. Complete, complete with burning eyes. Yes. Um, and, and feeding on the bloody corpse of his latest victim. Absolutely. Mind you, I'm sold with this. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, this is... Uh, the, the back cover is seeped in mystery. Well, the person whose innards is eaten, uh-huh. the eyes are still open. This is what was freaking me out. Yes, yes, they are. They absolutely are. 
along with some well-placed horror iconography all over the back cover, such as your castles, bats, tombstones, gnarled, reaching branches, all weaved together. Yeah, the illustrator had some fun with this. Oh, to create... There's this, it's a wonderful tapestry of terror, is, is what we're looking at on the back cover. It is. It's tremendous. Um, my, if, if the front and back cover don't say, come on in, this is going to be mint, I don't know what does. Which is precisely the one job that the cover has got, and it yep. achieves just flawlessly. Absolutely. With great aplomb. Yeah. So if we open the book and we have a, a bit of a flick through, if you just if you stood there... In the shop, perhaps, thinking, shall I buy this? Uh-huh. And you're just flicking through the pages. You know, what first strikes you um, is a lovely collection of artwork and photographs. Mm-hmm. Uh, photographs are to illustrate characters from films. You've got your Chris Lee as Dracula and Karloff as Frankenstein, the, yeah. the big hitters, if you like. Um, others, such as, not strikingly obvious, but a castle in Romania. Mm-hmm. Suggested that this could be Castle Dracula from back in the day. Yeah, but but that in itself, inferring that it's a real place, Dracula could be real. Mm-hmm. You know, this mm-hmm. is seven-year-old me looking at this, thinking yeah, that. And, you pre- know, precisely this. Yeah, this this chilled me and excited me as a child. Yeah, this is by no means a picture book, and yet at the same time, if you took out the photos and illustrations and visual reference material, it'll be about 25 pages long. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's you, very you definitely get, a visual guide. Yeah, it is. It is needed for the audience. They've, they've Again, they've pitched this really, really well. Mm-hmm. The artwork itself, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but the artwork itself is stylish, it's informative, and it's unforgiving, I would yes. suggest. Yes, that's the word, yes. Some of the images in these pages uh, are enough to give me the diarrhoea. <laughs> And I can I can be I'll be quoted on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, stick that. You know, give this book a dust jacket, on the back dust jacket. Put on a few pull quotes. Stick that on there. This yeah. book. This book is enough to give me the diarrhea. <laughs> Doctor Velvet, the Peggy Man calamity hour. Bang. Right. Uh, I'm 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 up for that. Hamlin, if you do a reprint, there you are. And a, a quote. If you want to put a quote from me on there as well, just have years of therapy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's it, you know, there's no buggering about. We've got a very brief introduction, which is the uh, mm. the word of warning, which you heard just now. Indeed. Um, when I first read this, at the age when I first read this, mm-hmm. I took it very much at face value. Reading it now, it's quite obviously tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, back in the day, I'm just like... Well, well, of course. Well, yes, yes, perhaps I will just uh, have to, to check all of the cupboards and under my bed, and literally anything that might contain a ghost before I go to sleep every night. Right. Yes. Uh-huh. It was not a fun read. This was an encyclopedia to a young mind. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was believing every word that was written there, me. Oh, good Lord. So we're taken through different sections of the book. It offers different sections yeah, uh, yeah. Within, within, within this book. Mm-hmm. So the first section we get is of ghosts and ghouls. It is. And the minute you turn that page... Page 10. What a fucking way to start. God almighty. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Now, I know, I know that this 
has been emblazoned on your fucking eyelids for years. Yep, and it still is again now after we've <laughs> after we took mm-hmm. the book. <laughs> yep. Yes. Yes. It. It. Yes. yes. Hmm. We're, we're presented with a story uh, entitled "The Pilot Who Saw the Future." Essentially, it's a it's a physical, it's a premonition, but with a physical apparition. Yeah, you you might be expecting some like excellent sci-fi time travel from this. No. No. What we get is. On page 11, specifically, is the terrifying image of the ghost of a wing commander from World War II. Named in the text as Flight Officer Lamb. Yes. Bless her. Mind, this, that's horrific. Yes, yes, it fucking is. It's been... Yeah, <laughs> that, that is horrific. There's absolutely no need for things to be that scary, mind. So it's just this story about a guy in the Second World War. Um, Roy. <laughs> Roy. He's in the bar one night. There's, you know, lots of people sort of relaxing as best they can, knowing that they're probably going to be killed within fucking 48 hours of standing there. Um, and someone says, oh, well, over there. Flight officer Lamb, look. And he turns around and he sees he sees what is in the illustration. Have a look in the show notes. There is a, there's a snippet of that in there. That's There we go. And with these words. Then I saw it. I turned and saw the head and shoulders of the wing commander moving ever so slowly in a bottomless depth of blue blackness. The remaining flesh of his face was dully blotched in greenish purplish shadows, with shreds peeling off near his left ear. Fuck me. Again, they're not buggering about here, are they? <laughs> with the worst. You, know you know what the worst? Seriously, you know what the worst thing is about this? The actual. Mm. The manifestation of the effect that this had on me. When you look at Lamb's face, I mean, the text describes his skin peeling off, and it's there. It's in. It's in the illustration. Um, uh-huh. It was the way that the skin is like flaking off. Mm. That reminded me of the texture that you used to get with digestive biscuits. They have that sort of slightly flaky. You know where you see the oat slices kind of. Where the hell were you buying your biscuits? Listen. <laughs> Probably, probably not the McVitie's one. Other brands are available. That's probably what I was eating. They're, they're yeah. not all like dead skin flakes, but these were these were fine fare, weren't they? More than likely, yes. Anyway, because of that, that's when I because this image in the book is like a sort of a, a sepia watercolor. It's masterfully done. But yeah, I didn't need digestives for probably two, three, two to three years. The thing that gets me specifically about this image is that's it doesn't is it a smile? But that that ghoul, yeah is telling me that he's revelling in the fact that folk are terrified and he finds it hilarious. Yeah, it's the fact that he's got no eyes, but he's smiling. Yeah. And also, look at the top of his head. I know it's supposed to be mist, but I thought that was black curly hair. (laughs) (laughs) That has made... You know what? I'm not scared anymore. That's why when he says, oh, I saw the future, yeah, this is fucking Disco Wing Commander right here. The fact that he's, he's enjoying... The fact that you're terrified. I don't, I don't know if it's enjoyment or just excruciating pain. Well, well, it could be that. But that's a smile, not a not a shriek of agony. Oh, yeah, but, you know, it just could be pain to the point where it's just flipped the switch and just gone through into outright insanity. There is there, that. Is, there is more of this chapter, by the way, listener. It's not just this story, but this is this is the one. This is how this is how they open the book. Yeah. Good yeah. Lord. This, is, this sets the bar. The rest of it is, I mean, like this. 
I'm, I'm not going to lie. The story in itself, as terrified as I am of the illustration, the story in itself is a bit shit. Mm. It's literally just anecdotal, as is the rest of this chapter. It's just people that Daniel Farson has spoken to, and they're going, oh, I saw a ghost once. Did you tell me about it? He had a face like a digestive biscuit. Can, can you illustrate yeah. and make that look more terrifying? Yes, yes, he can, yes. <laughs> yeah. P- page 15, uh, my fear again is subdued by silliness because uh, there's a, it's entitled a, a story, The Sailors with the Animal Heads. And I go back to uh, a little sketch uh-huh. that was performed years ago with Morecambe and Wise where they quoted a song called The Sailor with the Navy Blue Eyes. Right. And I just I attribute that tune, The Sailors with the Animal Heads, and instantly the fear is gone. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's that. Similarly, on page eighteen, uh, I had a bit of a, a fluff at that. Uh, I was convinced at first viewing that the title was "The Curse of the Stolen Scrotum." Um, <laughs> thankfully, this is not this is not the case. Uh, this is where it seems to get a bit ITV drama. Uh huh. It's a story about like it's it's in nineteen thirty six mm. when the tenth baronet of Abercorn and his wife visited an Egyptian tomb and she's stolen one of the bones. Yeah. And then, you know, the house has started. They got home, put it on the table. The the 10th baronet, he hasn't gone, what the fuck are you doing? He's just gone, yeah, yeah, stick it on the table. It'd be a nice ornament, that. Um, then the house has started to fall apart. People die. There's hell on. There's fire. There's plague. And they're like, I think most of their friends die before they realise it might be something to do with a stolen bone. Like a friend turns in and goes, what's that on your table? Then the rest of the house is in fucking ruins. <laughs> and the tenth baronet's just like, oh, that's just a, a stolen bone from a cursed tomb. I'm sure that's fine. Yeah. Again, it's <laughs> sort of highly anecdotal and very much a kind of, let's call it, tales of the expected. Right. Agreed. Bless. Uh, yeah. Well, Am- you know. Still amazing illustrations going on with these stories, though. Tremendous. Next chapter. We get to learn all about vampires. Oh, don't we? Listener, I hope you're here for vampires. Because Daniel Farson is. Oh, he is. Now, as a kid, I cared less about the text from this point onwards. Because uh-huh. it becomes, to my youthful mind, too much like a history lesson. Yes. Reading, reading it now, this is where the book picks up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I said, the, the stories in the previous chapter are a bit sort of chin-strokey. Yeah, yeah, all right, mate. This is where the author fully comes into his own. Especially when we look at page 24. Um, we see a photograph of a gentleman called Montague Summers. And he was a clergyman who lived from 1880 until 1948 uh-huh. and became one of the world's most famous experts on the history of vampires. Mm-hmm. That, that aside, his hair is nothing short of event-changing. I'm convinced he's the inspiration for the look of Princess Leia. He's got to be. He's, he's literally got to be. Look at him. He's... In A New Hope. Yeah, look at that. I respect him. I admire him. I want to be him. In fact, <laughs> I'm going to get that picture of him drawn as a tattoo on my left tit for me birthday. So there now. It's the fact that this 19th century gentleman, A, has Princess Leia's hair. B, just looks so disdainful about it. Yes. But it, um, the expression I get is that someone in a bar has shouted across from the other end of the room. Here, why you got your hair like that? And his re- his reaction is that picture, whilst he mutters I, the words, "What are you going to do about it?" I rather suspect that Montague Summers always speaks in the third person, and he just turns around and goes, "Montague Summers would love to know what the fuck it's got to do with you." 
Yes, yes, I'd like to think that he <laughs> did that. But already we discover a legend. This man is amazing. He, he yeah. is. So, yeah, this chapter is about vampires. Obviously, we touch on Dracula. Um, but there are, again, also sort of historical appearances of the vampire, you know, in mm-hmm. various sort of parts of folklore. It's probably worth pointing out that Daniel Farson, the author of this book, wrote a biography of Bram Stoker, which was published in 1975. Which mm-hmm. sort of explains why that's all he's going to be interested in writing about for the rest of this book. Yes. Bless. Yes. You know. There I is know. a there's a picture on um on page twenty five of a vampire lying in his coffin. Mm. The coffin has got a delightful purple line into it. It's beautiful, isn't it? And it's offset by this very sort of pale lime green skin that the vampire has got. Very Scooby-Doo colours, then. It is, but as a kid, this is another one that thoroughly unnerved me, partly because his eyes are ever so slightly open, mm-hmm. as is sort of true to the uh, the original book of Dracula. And it was the fact that the colours aren't leaping out and screaming at you. They're very sort mm-hmm. of subdued and... I th- yeah, I think it was the colours that made this sort of stick in my mind as a kid. So from vampires, we go to werewolves. We do. Page 37, there's a picture of a werewolf. What a picture. What a photograph. Um, he's had the nail varnish out. Yeah. He's a sort of green werewolf. I mean, yeah, open to artistic license. Uh, it's still a good picture of a werewolf. It is. It's amazing. Again, bear in mind, this guy can only come out at night, so the artist has chosen to put him behind a blue sky. And yet, it's sort of misty enough. You can see the moon there. That's not the sun. Yeah, this this works 100%. Again, it's another picture that like I used to see when I closed my eyes. I'd have that in one eye. And... Uh, and Montague fl- Summers in the other? <laughs> no, like Amanda Lamb. <laughs> if I blinked once, I'd get Montague Summers. Right, that's that's fair. That's fair. This is a good, good werewolf picture. It is again. It, it's pretty much like the front cover. It just carries this energy where you're like, if I saw that at night, if I turned around the corner and saw that, I wouldn't be able to run because my trousers would be full of the diarrhea. Right, completely. So effective. Um, we're, we're given something to be scared of here, all the way through, which is which is nice. It now, is because good. this chapter concentrates more on werewolf folklore it feels a bit more engaging to me sort of then and now sort of mm-hmm. more engaging than the uh, the vampire history because he's not <sighs> Farson does this classic ghost story thing of you know on it every turn just going but it could be real it's probably not but it could be yeah. um this that's very much the basis of this chapter mm-hmm. whereas with vampires he's like they probably are there's there's simply too many instances for them to be just folklore so vampire is definitely real ah but werewolves yes yes now after this picture this glorious full colour illustration that we talked about of the werewolf um, we've got a wood etching on the next page Mm. it seems from this point onwards once you you get into the um, the more sort of like sepia illustrations the sepia watercolours the artwork gets a lot more sketchy a lot more loose yeah It's still fantastic, but it does feel slightly like it's been produced as last-minute filler. I don't know. Yeah. You can tell which of the pieces of artwork here really took the time. (laughs) A lot of these, when you're seeing, you know, sort of wolves banging through the forests, you know, yeah, that was done in the afternoon. It's fine. 
It's still mm-hmm. it's still better than I can do, but it was it was knocked out fairly quickly. So yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's a fair comment. That's a fair comment. That said, page forty one has got a a picture of a woman with a hand missing. She's there up against it. Well, you assume it's a wall. The way the illustrations mm-hmm. done, it, you assume someone because there's like a couple of blokes. One of them's bang the door open and she's there one she's got a hand missing two she's got a bandage around the stump but the stump is still bleeding and she looks like Janis Joplin <laughs> and when I was young I couldn't quite read the expression on her face pain discomfort definitely but you know there's a there's a lot of angst there as well I'm still the same I'm looking at it now and again it's sort of if I think if I did two rapid blinks I will get this image in, in my eyeballs Next chapter we get is horror stories. Something, of course, you would expect to find in a book about Absolutely. horror stories. Absolutely this. Mm-hmm. Beautiful picture of Mary Shelley. How old is she in that picture? I'm not sure. Um, she's probably early 20s. Good Lord. I know she was, she was like 19, 19 when she, she, was wrote 19 Frankenstein. she wrote Frankenstein. It looks like she's about 50 in that. I don't mind, but, you know, it seems odd not to be like, well, did no one do a painting earlier? Was there not a better painting you could use? It's not particularly flattering. Never mind. No. Now, this bit here, this is where Farson the Historian properly comes out. Again, didn't particularly care about the text as a kid. Um, To be fair, it's not the most interesting chapter to me now either, I'm ashamed to say. No. I'm going to pronounce this as they... Um as they said it on an episode of Spider-Man once, the Spider-Man cartoon from the 1980s, but we okay. get the hunchback of Notre Dame uh-huh. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. on here. Um, so little familiar stories. We've got Edgar Allan Poe's tales. We've got the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Page 63, actually, that picture of Mr. Hyde. Awful. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely um, awful. He's, he's a wrong one. Uh, and then we get on to Dracula. Oh, don't we? When you say on to, you mean back to. Yes. Yep. Yes. Farson, obviously, it's horror stories. We're going to talk about Dracula. It's you know, it's one of the old times. Yeah, fine. But our author spends longer synopsizing the first act of Dracula than examining why it works as a story. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you know, you think, if he's coming to pitch this book, into the publishers, you're like, well, that, that's going to be where he flourishes, isn't it, really? But he doesn't. He just goes on about Dracula for nine bastard pages. Yeah. He's Ooh. loving it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is. And then he, he leaves little room to in- explore other authors like Sheridan Le Fanu. Yeah, exactly. Um, he, he just and- sort of sk- blithely skates over them. He wrote some stories as well. Yeah, it it seems a little bit like that. They're like Ambrose Bierce, and we get to M.R. James as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a name that would come into prominence later in my life, but back in the day, never give it another thought because it was never really underlined. Incidentally, when we get to the section about M.R. James, uh, page 82, uh, there's a picture opposite he's telling a tale about... Um, now, I think it was Lost Hearts they're talking about, and it's a bit two right. kids and these kid the drawing of these two kids. Oh dear me, how? Uh-huh. Yes. Yep, that, that's, that's another one. Blink three times, I say that. Yeah. Oh no. The two kids standing there <laughs> with them. It's the haunting look in their eyes. It's it's Yep, it's the yeah. eyes again, isn't it? <laughs> it it really is. It really, really is. I also used to get freaked out by the picture of the Phantom of the Opera on page seventy six. Oh yes. Bearing in mind He's effectively the monster in this story. Mm-hmm. And he's there, and 
there's this lass reaching for him, and it's the look of fear and alarm on his face, and you're like, well, yep. what's frightening him? Next chapter, horror on stage and screen. I wonder what Daniel Farson's going to be writing about here. Curtains for Dracula. <laughs> Another nine fucking pages. Jesus. Yeah. The thing is, right, Max Shrek's Nosferatu, he gets a full-page photo. It's a beautiful photo. The film isn't even mentioned in the text. Nope. There's, there's, a, little, there's a little credit telling you what film it's from. It doesn't even... Farson's like, Nosferatu who? Yeah. Mind. Well, we, we, we examine the actors who have played this part. We've got Bella Lugosi. Mm-hmm. We've got Karloff. We get C. Lee, of course. Again, the big hitters. A surprise there was no mention of Vincent Price. I used to be transfixed by that picture at the, um, at the opening of the chapter that goes over pages 84 of 85. It's like, a you know, another illustration where into the full full colour detail for this one. It's Dracula on stage. And, like, you can see people in the audience watching this. But there's mm-hmm. one fellow, he's like, he's out of his seat. He's that, <laughs> he's that wrapped yeah. up in what, what he's watching. He's, yeah. I think he's about to run to the toilet. I couldn't, even though the text describes that this is in the theatre, my youthful brain was just like, why are why there people watching a Dracula? Carrying a lass around, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, it's the colours. It's like this, like yellow background, the green skin. Mm-hmm. I remember reading that and being obsessed with the idea that people would faint in the theatres watching yes. a yes. production of Dracula. <laughs> um, yeah, we got that a few know. pages on where you see um, again another magnificent illustration of just people passing out at the back of the theatre. The Red Cross lady there going, "Yeah, she's probably dead." Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the on the same page, yeah, there's a fella passed out next to her. It, it's not mm-hmm. just the ladies that faint. Lads, you're allowed to pass out as well. Yeah, amazing. But we we then venture away from uh, mainstream horror, if you will. Yeah, um, yeah. And we we go to a chapter called Almost Human. Now at this point, this is where like the, the not factual, but we're we're leaning into the factual side of things here, aren't we? Mm-hmm. There's, there start to be like photographs of cases rather than just illustrations, yeah. which again, as a child, is like this. This is where it's getting real now. Even though, again, yeah, as a yeah. kid, I didn't really care about this chapter. Uh- <laughs> no, um- honestly, leopard men and wolf children. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, this is this is <laughs> next chapter: a geographical guide to horror, and the first topic that's discussed in this is it's about haiti the home of the zombie yeah allegedly um voodoo and the likes have it's always been a concept that's fascinated me somewhat um years ago i used to i used to know a guy from haiti uh a lovely guy called ernie right and uh we chatted quite often and i mentioned that kind of thing oh he was a believer my goodness me you don't you don't make fun of you don't mock you don't Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm You, you you don't um, take voodoo lightly. Uh, he was very very serious about it, uh, and it, that fascinated me. And then you hear about all of the supposed happenings from these rituals and this this magic that occurs, etc. And it just makes you wonder, you know. Again, the um, the illustrations are starting to pick up again now. The artwork in this chapter is fucking phenomenal. It is terrifying in places. Page <laughs> page one hundred and ten, by any chance. 110 is the first one, yes. And, 110, um, 
I mean, and, and 112. Yeah, it's um, it's a couple of illustrations of um, of Haitian zombie men, and it will not surprise you to learn it's the fucking eyes. It's it is. just these wide open, staring white eyes. Absolutely used to both transfix and repel me as a child, and I'm watching it. I'm looking at it again now, and I'm like, nope. <laughs> 110. Those eyes just absolutely burn into your soul, don't they? Yeah, there is that. I mean, even there's a few illustrations in here which are back to the sort of sketchy watercolor style, and there is still absolutely no fucking filler here. This is amazing. Yeah, which is weird because it's another chapter where I didn't really care about the text when I was drawn to <laughs> when I was like this I was just drawn to the artwork in it but yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah no of course it's a geographical guide to horror mm-hmm. and um to you know we, obviously we've got Whitby and Transylvania he's on about Dracula again fasten 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 he's not gonna shaggy mate he's 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 obsessed like do you know what I mean mind that story about the coconut that's bullshit as well isn't it yes it is uh-huh. Can that not be quoted on the cover as well? That'll be on the inside flap. Right, nice. Right, where it belongs, yeah. Real Horrors is next. And oh my goodness, the Countess Bathory. <gasps> yeah, that's another page which used to draw me in. That's some um, for, for, for people reading along at home, page 127, it's that sort of calm, again, very sort of disdainful expression on her face. Very sort of underplayed detail of blood around her mouth. It's just sort of mm-hmm. coming out of the side. You know, she's not she's not smeared in it. She's not an animal. They reckon she used to bath in it, but we don't see that here. Is that why she had her name? Could, could well be. Is that why she's not Countess Showery? <laughs> yes, or Wash right. Basney. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, when we, we, we get to Countess Bathory, and this opens the door for more vampires, so we get Dracula, Prince Vad. We do, yeah, yeah. Again, it's, you know what, he's constrained by the facts of Prince Vlad Dracula here. And it also opens the door for some more historical characters, uh, uh-huh. such as Ivan the Terrible and Rasputin, of course. Again, by the time you get to this, as a kid, I'm just like, I, I don't care about this. Oddly enough, I'm going, I want to know more about vampires, about about like yeah. the actual, not people who actually lived less than 100 years ago. What are you doing, man? I don't give a damn about the strangers of Bombay. I did. I was very interested in the Jack the Ripper section, though. More so about who he was. Yes, yes. Again, I'm sort of thinking, like, shouldn't this be in a different book? If only if only there was some kind of killer, like where where, where Farson could draw more parallels to the uh, to the vampire mythos. Well, I know. He's found one. Of course he has. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, I'll draw some attention to this. So we get to 150, page 150, the vampire killer, okay? Now... Yeah. This is news to me because despite being quite well read on the horrific activities of John George Haig, thanks to the Murder Casebook weekly publications of the 1980s, yep. I'm, su- I'm sure our, some of our listeners will have uh, <laughs> indulged in such things, um, I'm aware that his moniker was the Acid Bath Murderer. That is how I know him as well. I think that's how most, if you say to people, oh, you know, the Acid Bath Murderer, they yeah. know what you're talking about. I don't think Martin Clunes was in the office one day with his agent, and he goes, oh, I've just had a, a, a part come through for a new TV drama they're making about the vampire killer. And Martin Clunes yeah. has got, what, Dracula? Like, no, 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 you know, the, the vampire killer, this fella. And he's looked over and he's gone, do you mean the acid bath? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'd had no idea, or I'd forgotten, that he was also referred to as the vampire killer. 
Once. He was called this once in the Daily Mirror. Farson even says it. And then goes off. Goes off for 15 pages because he was called this once. He used to he used to drink the blood. He's a vampire. Yep. He's fucking insane is what he is, Daniel. Leave it. <laughs> Though it has long been a matter of dispute among medical circles, there is no doubt in my mind that John George Haig was a vampire in the classical tradition. Perhaps the only true monster in this field in the 20th century. That's from Basil Copper, right? That's from Basil Copper. It, it says it, it attributes this quote to Basil Copper in his book The Vampire. Yeah. It, 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 if we just just go over his words again. There is no doubt in my mind that John George Haig was a vampire in the classical tradition. So if there's no doubt in Basil Copper's mind, that makes it a fact, does it? Right, okay. Basil Thanks, Copper Farson. is the... Yeah, he's the uh, he's the benchmark. He's, you know, we've all got to believe Basil Copper. He gives out the cards, does he? You're he a does. vampire, you're not. Not you, sorry, you're a werewolf. Off you go. No, not you. You're a stranger of Bombay. No, That's not right. you. No way. No way. Yeah. There's a little uh, photograph of the acid bath um, in Madame Tussauds. He looks like Adolf Hitler. He does. Yes. <laughs> it's a weird thing, because when you look at like the page previous, there's an illustration of him. Sort of there, um, it looks like he's either been led into court or led out of court, and mm. you see his moustache there. Yeah. It's, thin, it's thinner at the sides, you know. It's like a, it's a very coiffured moustache. Mm. I'm not, I'm not siding with a serial killer here, but it is. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, well, when you look at his waxwork, they've gone make him look like Hitler. Yeah, it's either that or a Dracula. <laughs> right, <laughs> those are the choices they had. Hey. I bet I reckon Daniel Farson used to be in Madame Dussault's every night trying to put a cloak around him. Nine o'clock the next yes. morning, security comes along. He's been in again. He's been in again. There's fangs on him this time, drawn on in biro. <laughs> and the acid bath brings us to the end of the Hamlin Book of Horror. It does indeed. So, thoughts after all of that? There are, reading it again now, mm. there are only two things which bug me about this um the copyrights page at the very beginning of the book it just lists the artwork as copyright illustrations the hamlin publishing group limited 1979 Uh all the people who've worked on this they don't even get named the photos get credited in the acknowledgements sort of like various artworks that they've like used you know with permission and whatever yeah yeah but apparently the artists here can go and whistle out of their arse (laughs) <laughs> that is fucking outrageous, and I, ho- I hope that the paycheck made up for it. I really fucking do. Yeah, it's. Uh, there, I, I'm. I am with you on that. Uh, but the positives for this outweigh the negatives. Um, I'm not saying bugger the artists. That's not what I'm saying. Um, it is a beautiful piece of work. This. The other thing that bugs me though is that for all this book is about like the history of horror. Mm. Um, reading it now, it does feel surprisingly limited in its scope. So obviously Farson, he covers all of the classic bases here. Ghosts, vampires, werewolves, zombies. But only really in this historical context. Now I do know that the original text was written for the 1976 Beaver Books edition. So I'm not expecting to see Stephen King or any of that generation of horror writers getting name-checked here, right? Mm-hmm. And I certainly don't expect the slasher films to get annoyed because they were still building their way up at that point. Yeah. We What we do get is a section on Edgar Allan Poe but there's no mention of H.P. Lovecraft. There's a bit no. on the Hammer horror films, but not on Roger Corman's adaptations of Edgar Allan Poe's work, which were being made around about the same time. 
Right. Now, I don't expect to see George Romero's name in here. We don't even get Hitchcock. And there's absolutely nothing on the monster horror or the crossover with science fiction. This is a great place to start. But if Daniel Farson was around today, I'd be having all of this out with him on Twitter. So, <laughs> fair, fair. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But all that being the case, mm-hmm. how many pegs would you get out and use as a bookmark in the Hamlin Book of Horror? Nine. Okay. Yeah. As should be the case with any book, this is a portal to another realm. On a nostalgic level, this was an utter joy. I was ten years old again, reading this. Mm-hmm. That aside, for someone reading it for the first time, this is a tremendous journey taking the reader to familiar and unfamiliar territory within the horror genre. A joy. Yourself? Well, in this day and age, I would class the Hamlin Book of Horror as a coffee table piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, partly because of the slightly kitsch nature of the subject matter, making it a talking point. Partly because of the sheer size of the thing but mostly because it's packed with artwork that I think is superb. Now, as much as I'd like the book to go places it clearly doesn't want to, the problems I have with it are precisely that, my problems, and this is absolutely exemplary at being everything it sets out to be. Nine pegs. Kaboom. There we go. Get yourselves on the eBay, on the Amazon. It's cheaper on the eBay. And get this book. Yeah. But the question on the lips of every stranger in Bombay, Blackout, is Mm -hmm. how many mentions of Dracula... Will it take you to flap like a bat up the mountain? Well, I hope you've brought provisions. It's going to take a while. Chapter 5 of this book features a spotlight section on Bella Lugosi, whose last day job was playing half a role in Plan 9 from Outer Space, which also starred... Tor Johnson, who appeared in a 1960 episode of Bonanza alongside Michael Landon, whose highway to heaven once went past James Earl Jones, who played Balthazar in Jesus of Nazareth, opposite a Melchior performance from Donald Pleasant, who, as we all know, did some real false murder and got a punishment without crime off of Peggy Mount. I can start organising. I like organising. Good Lord. You know? There you go. There huh? we go. We're here. We're here. We're here. We're here. I've set up camp. Would you like to come and join me? Well, yes. Uh, I'll do it in not quite as many steps. Appearing in one of the many forays into vampiric culture here is a full-page pinup of Nosferatu, as portrayed by Max Schreck, whose final film was 1936's Die Letzen wir von Santa Cruz, next to Irene von Meyendorf, who went on to star in Hell is Empty, alongside James Robertson Justice, who played Lord Scrumptious in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, in the redoubtable company of... Victor Madden, who appeared as Fingers in the Desperate Hours episode of You're Only Young Twice, with... Ooh, Peggy I may be down, but I'm not out. I'm buggered. I'm buggered. Yeah, I know, right? I know. 
and I've also noticed that some lettering has mysteriously appeared on the mirror at the end of the studio. And as well as feeling completely spooked out, I also feel informed, because it's telling me that Blackout's got your socials. Yes, thanks once again for oozing in to be with us. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyManPod at gmail.com or we are PeggyManPod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Five-star ratings are always welcome on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to us. Don't forget to go to PeggyManPod.com to check out the show notes for this and all of our other episodes, as well as a link to our Redbubble store. Hashtag buy the things. It's as simple as that. It really, really is. Right. That's that. Until our next episode, which you can hear on the 31st of October. The spookiest day of the year. Until that very day. Keep manning! Just a word before you leave. We hope the memories of Velvet and Blackout won't give you bad dreams, so a word of reassurance. When you get home tonight and the lights have been turned out and you are afraid to look behind the curtains and you dread to see a face appear at the window, why, just pull yourself together and remember that after all, there are such things. Pegimon Calamity Hour is a free podcast from Eiffel Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments and television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com.